Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Contractor Evolution. Look, one of the most common questions we get is how should I pay my people? And it makes sense because how you structure compensation plans is a massively important part of your business. It's like, is what I'm offering compelling enough to attract the talent I need? Am I using incentives and bonuses effectively to get staff focused on the right things? Is, is doling out cash at the end of the year out of the goodness of my heart the right way of going about it? The value in answering these questions for a small business owner can't be overstated. And yet, you don't hear people having money conversations like this all that often at least not out in the open. Implementing performance pay is one of the best ways to align the goals of the individual with the goals of the organization. Share the gain, share the pain. And Coach Shane Bannerman, one of our best, is here today to explain how to set up performance pay for salespeople, production managers, field staff, and admins. Shane coaches over 40 different Breakthrough Academy companies and has inside access and the first-hand knowledge to speak directly to what comp plans will work and what ones will not for your contracting business in particular. If you're not yet subscribed and you're watching on YouTube, click the button below. And without further ado, let's dive in with Shave Manderman. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Mr. Shane, it's good to see you, my friend. Yeah, it's good to be here, Benji. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, so you've obviously worked with you know a ton of Breakthrough Academy members, seen the insides, the guts of many of these businesses. One thing that... Um, you're a big proponent of is implementing performance pay. And I just, maybe just talk about why that is and, and why you're so bullish on this. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, performance pay for me is, is such a huge topic. And I think the, the reason why I'm so bullish on it is because when I see my members, I just see really great motives to why they want to give performance pay. They want to reward and they want to recognize and, I think when people join BTA as well, that their profits go up, their margins go up, and they actually want to give back. But what I also see is that they want to give back in a way where they're going to reward and invest and get an ROI in what they're giving. And and a lot of times what I see is people just giving gifts and not true bonuses based on performance pay. This is basically the like, hey, it's Christmas, here's a lump sum of cash that is totally arbitrary and not anchored on anything that was done. And like you said, it's coming from a really, really good place. The, the goodness of their heart, the they want to be generous, they, they, they want to see and build a great future for their team. Um, but you're making the case that a lot of the times it's done maybe because it's uninformed, maybe because we're busy and haven't thought about it. It's essentially just a present that we give at a certain time of the year with not much else uh, behind it. Is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, I, I think that's very fair to say. And I, I think that it's, you know, it's a good timely topic because we're still in the first quarter or just exiting the first quarter. And I think that's it. For the most part, I think it's that most of the members or most of the contractors out there, they plan to get around to really fine tuning their bonus scheme. And then it just gets put off and put off and put off. And the next thing you know, it's time to pay out and it's a little too late and it turns into, uh, I'll get, I'll get it right next year. So absolutely. And I think, look, I think performance pay, just think about those two words. That's it. We're definitely paying, but are we paying for performance? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what are others, some of the other like textbook reasons like, I think most people have an intuitive sense for why this is a good thing, but let's just flush this out a little bit more. Like, what are some of the real benefits of doing this for, for an organization as a whole? Yeah, sure. So first off, if you get your bonus scheme right, then it will always pay for itself. So right now, if we are just giving, as I like to call it, gifts, and we're just dishing out money at the end of a That's quarter, just overhead. dishing out money at... Yeah, that's just overhead. That's exactly right. And it's just an expense column in your budget. If we can actually get it to promote performance and we're actually paying, then a bonus scheme will always pay for itself. It's interesting. I did a little bit of research before this 
this meeting here. And I just want to give you three definitions. Bonus is something in addition to what is expected or strictly due. An incentive is a thing that motivates or encourages one to do something. And a gift is a thing given willingly to someone without payment. It's a present. So right now you got to ask yourself, is your bonus giving something in addition to what is expected? Or is it an incentive which you are giving something that motivates and encourages your employees? Or are you simply just giving money as a reward for them being an employee? Which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. We're just saying as your business becomes more sophisticated, you likely are going to want to move in the direction of having these these bonus payouts, these incentives, whatever, pay for themselves, as you just said. Anything else you can think of as far as like reasons why someone should invest in this? Um, I think that people inherently want to do well at their job as well. So when you can set the expectations and when they know what good looks like and they know what the definition of success is and then they can get rewarded for that, there's a lot more meaning to it as well. So I think when you get this right and you allow their people to earn their money instead of just be to have been given money, there's just a, a tremendous amount of benefit that comes from that alone. So for, for the members that you've seen do this really well, do, they, do those entrepreneurs talk about kind of a shift in the vibe around the building like culturally there's something that kind of changes a little bit because people are motivated to reach a higher goal and there's kind of a more performance focus within everyone's position yeah absolutely i mean people want to win and then people really want to sit in that moment of winning. I know you're a big sports guy and you can think about any sports out there. Sure, you get paid a lot of money to play the sport, but you get paid more money if you make an all-star team. You get paid more money if you go to the playoffs. You pay more money if you win a championship. So I think just taking that concept and putting it into your business, there's true value there. Yeah. People play better when you're keeping score um, is a mantra that I love. I think as well, too, if you're just thinking about this purely from a recruitment standpoint and wanting to be a talent magnet, uh, this is something that high performers look for. So it is a part of your employer brand. It is a part of the offer. It is a part of the package that you're trying to make as compelling as possible to get the people in the door that you need. So anyway, you know, there's there's some benefits there. We just we just unpacked. I think what we should do, I think the most um practical way of going about this is just kind of go through the various positions of an org chart and give our thoughts, high level thoughts on how to structure this. There's a caveat before we start, guys, if you're listening to this, I, like we talk to 10 different industries in two different countries, every state and province, a bunch of different markets. This is going to be very difficult to give you the exact formula for what you should do in your business. So that's not really what's on offer today. What we are going to give you is, I think, some really instructive, high-level ways of thinking about this that you then need to kind of drill down and make specific for your business in your market with your team, with your gross profit margins, etc. So why don't we start with sales, Shane? I think this is probably the easiest one. Um, and as a result, let's get it out of the way right at the top. What are your thoughts on kind of performance pay for sales positions? Yeah, sure. So with the sales positions, you usually will go to different avenues. You'll have one, which is commission only. Um, so that's that's the true definition of performance pay. You only pay for performance. Uh, and then you have a different avenue where you will go kind of base plus. Um, so why don't we start with commission only? Let's start with commission only, maybe just like some pros and cons. Yeah, excellent. Okay, so the pros... Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. The pros is they don't perform, you don't pay. So there's very little financial risk when it comes to a commission-only performance pay. Um, I think another great pro as well is that you definitely get the right attitude. If you get somebody that is willing to take a job that their only way they're going to get paid is if they perform, those are the type of people that you want on your team. That is just the right attitude in a salesperson where they are just going to bet on themselves. So you're attracting real hunters. Pro. There's like really a specific, only a specific kind of profile that's going to accept the inherent risk of a, of a pay structure like that. It's a rare breed. It's a rare breed, but they are out there um, and and they are hunters. That's for sure. But the cons of that side would be you as an entrepreneur have basically less control over their time. 
because they're, they're not paid to sit in meetings. They're not paid to build SOPs. They're not paid to do side projects or little things off the side of their desk. And so the complaint would be they feel a little more detached from the culture or the, like they might be a super proficient salesperson. They might be low cost. They might be delivering you ROI, but they are going to feel kind of off over there a little bit more. And there's systems you can have in place to kind of counteract that. And a good leader and a strong culture is going to, is going to minimize that thing. But they are, they are a little bit, you know, their own, they're in business for themselves to some degree. They're almost a little subcontractor within the organization. So that would be one, I think, downside. And then the other thing that I think about as well is you do risk in certain instances, and this is where you need to think about this for your business. You could have someone who naturally is going to have a more, a less client centric sales approach. Like they are going to be closers, right? That's what you're, that's what you're paying them to do. That's what the incentives it's incentive structure is set up to have them do. So if you know, be prepared for them to like close a couple of deals, handle objections at the end, kind of push people through the system that is going to happen. And if you, as you're in your business, you're like, yeah, we're good with that. We want that. This probably works for you. If you're, uh, if the type of job you sell, uh, the type of product you build, whatever would, uh, create a situation where that type of sales is a problem. You might want to go with the base, a base, plus root. But those are the, like, that's just kind of what I think of when we think of pros and cons. And, and, and did I miss anything there, Shane? Yeah, no, I think that's great. The only thing I would add, you're absolutely right that they might be self-motivated and they might not necessarily share your vision and your values, especially around the customer experience. So quite often you want to put a secondary metric in there. So you, you never want to pay commission. I shouldn't say never, but you just want to be cautious that you're, when you're paying commission, it's not just on revenue. That if there's an attachment to a quality score or a gross profit or something along those lines. So that way, you know, because if they just get paid to sell, they will. They'll just sell and they'll discount to get the sale. They'll do whatever they can do to get the sale across the door. So you want to make sure you've got that secondary metric in there. That they would also be compensated for to some degree, perhaps maybe less so, but there's something on customer satisfaction, gross profit percentage, something that provides a bit of a backstop to that just like myopic tunnel visioned sell, sell, sell approach is what you're saying. Um, a bit of a balance. You got a, it. A balance. Yeah. So I, I did some research before this too. There's when we, we're talking about commission only, it's kind of two, um, kind of two ways to do this. One would be you're anchoring the payoff of revenue sold. And the ranges go from about 8 to 12% of revenue sold is what you're paying. I've heard as high as 15 or 16, but not for very long because the owner goes, this is too good of a deal. Let's drop this down. So I'd say 8 to 12 is a good range. The other way of doing this, and again, this is where it gets really nuanced for your business, would be to not have it anchored to, to, to revenue, but anchored to the gross profit produced. And so they're getting a probably a, a larger percentage because the gross profit is smaller than the revenue. They're getting a larger percentage of that. But what it ensures is that they are, if they're doing estimation and measurement, they're doing that in a very, very accurate way. They're not lowballing to get sales across. Um, and we've seen a lot of people be successful with that anchoring it on GP thing. The only word of caution is your tracking needs to be really, really dialed to do that. So if it isn't, you might want to just tack it onto revenue. If it is, you may be able to do that. Does that make sense? Benji, we might, as well, we might as well just get that out of the way right now, that your tracking has to be pretty dialed for everything we're going to talk about today. Some more than others, but if you really want to uh, have bonuses and incentives be a core piece of your business, you need to have the tracking to back it up. That's an, that's probably seems like an obvious statement to most of our listeners, but but just to be clear, the reason we're saying that is because what will happen downstream is you will be in a situation where it's a he said, she said, where you're saying, no, no, you did this. They're saying, no, no, I did that. And you're arguing over basically someone's year-end salary, which is a culture killer, and you'll probably end up in employment court, which is not going to be fun. So that is why there needs to be real objectivity in your business already. That's sort of a prerequisite for what, for what we're talking about today. Let's move on to this base plus structure. Uh, make the What types of businesses do you think would gravitate towards doing a base plus uh, compensation structure for their salespeople versus just commission only? Sure. Yeah. So uh, 
the types of businesses where you are getting leads, leads are coming in and you need someone to go out there and convert your leads. If I could just bring it back for one second, the, a real benefit about a commissioned only salesperson as well is that they will likely generate their own leads. They right. will go out there because like you said, they're hunters, they're hungry, they want to close. For a base plus, it's when you have leads are coming in and you just need someone that's going to go out there and close them. Uh, so I find that's one of the best scenarios where you can get a base plus um, salesperson in your business. Yeah, I think the other uh, case to be made for it would be you do have a little more control over them. So I like I, I called up a few buddies last week and I was like, hey, tell me just, I wanted to I, I knew they did base plus And I was like, so just tell me how you break this down and why do you do this? And um my buddy Eric had a really good comment. He's like, look, like I actually need my sales guys to do other stuff from time to time. Like, like they do totally. sell most of the time, but I have them attend meetings. I have them facilitate stuff for the team. I have them work on a wide range of things because that's what my business needs right now. So I want to have that base allows me to have some semblance of ownership and control over them where I can say, no, no, like I know, like, you know, we're going to get to estimates later this afternoon, but this morning I really need like X, Y, Z done for two hours. Um, they are a little. Veggie, I, I, most of the members that I coach would probably have base plus salespeople, and most of the members that I coach have come from sales, and they're good at sales, and they have sales tactics, and they have a sales process in place. And you want to be able to make sure that your salespeople are following your process, and you need to almost have a base plus model in place, so you could have weekly GSRs, you could hold them accountable, you can insist on doing thing the, the whatever your business way is doing it um and yeah you really need to kind of have that base plus model in place for that um the con against it is that it is a little bit more expensive and you're not going to get that lead gen out of it so if you make the decision for your business that that's something that you can that you're good with then this makes mm -hmm. it probably is a good thing to do and as you just said most of our bta members uh go this route i'll, I'll come back to that in a sec. Um, what's the split generally between how much they're getting paid in base and how much they're getting paid in bonus? Sure. I'm a little bit bullish on it. I actually like a 50-50 split. Um, I think a 60-40 split can work as well, but you do want a chunk of it, a nice little chunk of it to come from your performance. These are salespeople. They have to wake up every day. Motivated sales is the oil that runs the engine. You, They have to be hungry. You have to keep them hungry. So if you have anything that's you know maybe 40% or less and they can still live off that base, right. then it almost becomes a risk to your business. 60-40 or 50-50. Um, I would, this is just my anecdotal perspective observations, so take it with a grain of salt, but the businesses who I've seen be really successful with commission only are roofing, solar, and some, some of the home services because they are fundamentally like sales orgs first. The businesses that gravitate towards more, more base plus would be painting, like large average job size construction, and landscaping. So again, you make their own decision for your business, but the, just, just from my own perspective, what I've seen and a good rule of thumb, um, there's this really neat guy in my co-working space who runs a company called the sales factories. Anyway, I won't get into it. He's a really, really smart sales guy. He's in his forties or fifties now. And we, we, we bullshit from time to time. I picked his brain on this. I'm like, can you just give me a good, like heuristic guide, a good rule of thumb to follow? He's like, when it comes to sales, generally speaking, if it's base plus, if it's commission only, whether you're selling software or selling home services, whatever, this is kind of an industry agnostic thing. If a salesperson wants to make a hundred K a year, they should be selling around a million dollars in revenue per year. And that I find that really instructive and really simple. So do you and your business do the math. Hey, is if this guy, you know, you'll have to uh, get out your calculator and maybe a spreadsheet. If this, if you have earners that want to make a hundred K, you need to ensure that they are generating a million in sales or more to do that. And what you just said as well is like, it's worth mentioning, salespeople need performance pay. We are not doing a hundred percent base for salespeople, you're going to be pushing a noodle all the time. It's an uphill battle. They're not going to be motivated. Uh, this is this is like an absolutely essential factor of the compensation plan for any salespeople. You will be sorely disappointed a year from now if you just pay them 70K without any incentives or bonuses. You would agree? Yeah, 
Uh, I would I would agree, and I would even maybe add a layer onto that. I'm a huge fan of the tier system when it comes to your salespeople. Mm, so talk about that. If, let's use. Let's use that same example there where if they want to make a, a hundred grand, they got to make a million. But what happens if they sell 1.2? You have, as a business, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gain. The, one of the golden rules when it comes to bonuses and incentive is share the pain and share the gain. So if they, if you're, if you're kind of expecting a mill and they give you 1.2, give them more. So if they're getting 10% up to a mill, then let's say anything from one to 1.1, we're going to give you 12%. Anything from 1.1 and beyond, we're going to give you 14%. That's a lot of gravy for you as a company, and you're going to continue to motivate them to get to that next level. Share the gravy. They're like boosters where it's like, hey, if you get above and beyond this number, you'll make even more. And if you get above and beyond that next threshold, you'll make even more. And the logic in doing that for the business owner is because at that stage of revenue, your net is getting really healthy. So you can actually Absolutely. you can you can actually afford to do that quite easily. And it is for a motivated person, like they're going to look at those boosters and be like, I want to get to that. I want to get to that next stage. Um, so I love that. I love that comment about the tiered system. And, and we've seen that be really successful with a lot of our members. Let's move on to like production and operations leadership roles. Again, you're going to call these people different things in your business, project managers, production managers, operations managers. Uh, these are people that lead a team or a number of teams beneath them to get the work that your salespeople sell done and completed well. So again, make this specific for your business. We're talking about production or operations, leadership roles. How should we structure the comp plans for them? Yeah. So uh, two words, gross profit. Uh, any kind of role like that, it, it, the, the, the bonus should be tied to gross profit. And I just mentioned share the pain, share the gain. Um, and this is where you can share the pain. And if you think about what is a bonus structure, again, if I say um, something in addition to what is expected or strictly due. So you want to, a bonus structure wants to, wants to promote the behavior to go above and beyond. And when we look at what the pain of a company is, it's very simple. It's things like going over budgeted hours, wasting materials, um, overtime. Overtime is one of the biggest killers uh, from from a contractor, uh, uh, sorry, a entrepreneur's point of view um, is paying those overtime and callbacks. So those, you know, those are the biggest pain points and you want to share those. So if you can attach a bonus structure to gross profit, all of those are encompassed in your gross profit. And if you have your operations leaders, your project managers, your production managers constantly looking at the gross profit, then they are considering wages, overtime, materials, all the things that you're considering, they start to consider as well. We've talked about this in other episodes quite a bit, but for newer listeners, can you talk about why we think gross profit, that metric in particular, is so indicative of the performance of someone in a operations leadership role? Yeah, because gross profit, you could control. There's, you know, that in, in BTA, we really focus on our variable expenses versus our fixed expenses. And we really zoom in on our variable expenses. Your rent is your rent. Your phone is your phone. Your secretary is your secretary. Uh, your advertising is your advertising. However, what you could control is how efficiently you're getting a job done. What you could control is are you buying materials in bulk? And even little things, are you saving some of that paint and taking it with you and using it on another job? That Those things, those little things add up. And like I said, callbacks. Callbacks is, it's, it's a killer. You know, you, most of our members are just trying to keep up production as it is. And there's nothing worse than when you're ready to move on to the next job and then you got to go back and spend a day or two finishing up the first job. So when you consider gross profit, those are all things that are within control of, of the people that work for us. And those are the things that are really going to help bring that, that business to the level you wanted to get at. Let me uh, reality check some of my own assumptions here. So when you, that was a great little rant you just went on, by the way. If you're thinking about um, your project manager, production manager, whatever you call them, they, if the role is structured properly and you have some decent systems in place, they should have their hands on 
they should have control over, I'm thinking of three things. You tell me if I'm missing anything. One is quality control. If there's strips on the ground, if there's mistakes on the siding, if the window was installed incorrectly, like blah, 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 blah. That is anchor, That is their job or the job or potentially the job of someone that works beneath them, but it is ultimately their kind of, the buck stops with them when it comes to QC. So that's something that they can control and reduce those callbacks. The hustle level on site is another thing that they should have control over. Whether they're working right alongside the people, uh, the, the other people on the crew, or they're doing it from the office and they're, they're, they're visiting site occasionally, whatever, it depends on their capacity for leadership, they should have some semblance of control over hustle level and intensity, uh, the intensity that the work gets done on site with. And then the third thing you already mentioned is sort of materials and how things get purchased. Are we wasteful uh, or are we are we efficient and lean? Did I miss it when, I, when, I, when we're thinking about the controls that a good operations leadership role has? Did I miss anything there? Are those kind of the key three? Yeah, man, you nailed it. And I especially like a hustle level. I love the way you worded that. But if you think about it, what motivates them to hustle? Like, if anything, sometimes our payment structure will motivate them to go slow. If they're there for an extra hour, they get more money. So what is their motivation to to for to create that hustle level? Absolutely. Um, What's the mix for like base versus commission like i think it's probably a little different than a salesperson yeah. how much is yeah. how much of how much what percentage of their total income is their base what percentage is variable yeah and i think i think you almost have to peel back later and look at the psyche of what makes a good productions manager an operations manager they're usually really organized they're very structured um, so with that, they don't have that same mentality as your salesperson where they're, they're hungry and they're hunters and they want to go out and get it sometimes, but not always. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is they need security. You want to give them security and you want to pay them for just doing a really great job. So I would suggest about 80, 20, 90, 10, like you just, you, you want to pay them. You want to get the best out of them. You want to give them the security that they're not going anywhere. They're going to make a fair wage. But you also just want to keep them motivated to get a little bit of icing on top of the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good comment about the psyche. Uh, they they are kind of a different profile than those hunter types that you would have, you know, in a commission only sales thing. I did a little digging. Um, you know, who I, who knows how accurate this is from salary.com. I just wanted to get some aggregate stats on what these roles get paid in North America. Average project manager in construction. A buck 13, 113K total. Average ops manager, 112, pretty close. Foreman, 83. So again, those are big averages. If you're in a big, expensive metropolitan city, you're going to be paying a lot more. If you're in a rural, small town in, you know, a flyover state, it's probably going to be a bunch less. Make the decision for yourself. But I would say if you're a growth-minded entrepreneur who cares about employer brand and really building something, you want you, you should set your sights on being a higher-end payer in your city. Be above the average. Know what I mean? Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And a lot of the entrepreneurs I work with too, the one thing that they want the most is time. They want to control their own time and they want some time back. So the the more you're investing into this position and the more you've got your bonus structure right and it's motivating the right behaviors in that position, then usually you as the business owner, you're going to get a little bit more time back because of that. Um, a lot of people will have questions, I'm sure, about like, okay, y'all, I can tie it to GP, but what even is what even is a good gross profit for my specific little landscape business or my uh, kitchen and bathroom reno business or my roofing business, whatever. This is a good plug for Breakthrough Academy and I'm not afraid to do it. If you want to know what good looks like, what other business owners are making, you want to compare numbers, talk systems, all that stuff, come check out Breakthrough Academy. We'll leave a link in the description as always. This is literally what we do. Um, Anything else on production and ops? Or should we move on to crew leads and field staff? Yeah, I think we're good to go. Move on. Okay, so now we're going to take it a layer down the org chart. Um, again, same side of the business, but these are these are people on site, crew leaders, laborers, um, technicians, field staff, whatever you call them. 
I'll, I'll, pa- I'll, I'll have you open this up for us. How should we be setting up the incentive pay for them? So for crew leads, it's usually budgeted hours. That is the one thing. Again, what did you say? What did you say before? Hustle? What was it? The, the hustle level. The hustle level, right? And it's, that's what you want to promote. You want to promote the hustle level. And your crew leads are the best ones to tell the guys to stop standing around and talking about last night's game and get back to work. Or, you know, look, dude, you think in 17 smoke breaks already and it's not even 2 p.m. Your crew leads are the, the ones that can truly control the hustle level. And you want to reward them for that. Like I said, sometimes it's actually beneficial for them to go slow including your crew lead if they're just getting paid hourly and there's no real benefit for finishing on budgeted hours or even better beating budgeted hours then what's the motivation there so budgeted hours is probably your number one metric that you want to use when thinking about bonusing so let's just um again for newer listeners we're kind of we're using breakthrough academy terminology um can you make the distinction between budgeted hours and actual hours and kind of why that matters in the context of these roles yeah i think the easiest way to explain that is to go back to your estimating process um so when you are quoting somebody right at the beginning one of the very first things you'll look at is how long will this take me to do how many people will i need to get it done what is the material cost so that's your budgeted hours you you understand how much it should cost and if you if it takes an extra day chances are you just went from that 50 percent gross profit to 20 percent gross profit and then if you get a call back on that chances are you just paid to do that job what have you seen, Shane? What have you seen, Shane, within Breakthrough Academy, and when, when it comes to this? Because there's kind of two competing philosophies. One is you you do like a full blown piece rate system. So, super simple example is: Hey, I've budgeted this project to take 100 man hours. If you and your helper, you and your three person crew, get it done in 70 hours because you're efficient and yada, 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 and it is up to our quality standards, you'll just keep the full 100. So that would be like a that would be like a piece rate system. Then the other version of this would be not a piece rate system, but you still give budgeted hours. This is a 100-hour project. If you do it in 80 hours, you do it, or maybe you do it by percentages. If you're X percent under budget or you're this other percent under budget, 10 or 15, whatever, we'll give you a nominal bonus based on that. What What's more common in BTA for structuring um, these these field roles that way? Yeah, um, look, it's going to seem like a bit of a cop-out answer, but I see them both. I see them both all the time. So I wouldn't say that there's a, there's a right or wrong. You just have to know what works for you and works for your business, um, and you just stick with it. But regardless, even with the piecework, because I understand it's not necessarily budgeted hours because if they take longer to do it, then they're making less. So I understand that it's different that way. But you still want them to get that job done and with the time they should be getting it done because chances are you've got three other jobs lined up that you want to get people to. And, I, you know, I just I got out of I had a call with a member this morning and the same structure, they're window washers, they work on piecework. Um, and, and the issue is not so much how much they're paying their employees because their employees are just getting paid what it is. But it's that now they've got a backlog and he had to call one client today that was supposed to get to next week and say, I'm not going to get there for two weeks from now. Right. So I think there's always a benefit on just focusing on the budgeting hours. The other thing, um, you know, again, creating a balanced approach to this, the other thing that we would add would be customer experience. Like the, Absolutely. If these are frontline workers. You're going to have a project manager. You, the owner, are also going to interact with the with the with the client as well. But these people are generally on site every single day, and so there is a lot of FaceTime. There is a lot of um, hours logged together. And would we are we aligned when I say these roles generally have the biggest influence over like the quality rating score at the end of the project, whether you do that through a net promoter, a follow-up survey, a Google star rating, whatever, would you agree that they have the biggest influence on that? Yeah, absolutely. The crew leader in some some cases is the actual face of your company and and they represent that entire customer experience. So they're, it's it's really wise to put a metric. And like you said, even Google reviews, I have members out there that will simply just pay 50 bucks for every five-star Google review. 
Every five-star Google review they get, they'll just give, them, give the crew leader 50 bucks. It's simple. It's easy. But you better believe that that crew leader is thinking about that 50 bucks at all times while they're on site. I am a big fan of not overcomplicating it. Um, and that sounds like a very good way of doing it. Every five-star review, 50 bucks. Uh, if you Boom. did that job, yeah, super easy. Um, some people are, okay, some people are customer service oriented. Some people are not. Some people are just worker bees. And in fact, you kind of need those people in your business too. Um, they all, you know, you're going to get a mixed bag as far as who's on site. Any thoughts on, you know, the ratio of like worker bees versus customer service oriented people you should have on a crew? Like what, what a high performing businesses do to kind of have the right mix? Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I would say, I would say to my members, everyone should be a worker bee. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think you need everyone with that, that hustle factor. Absolutely. But in addition to that, they also maybe have but, a little flair for customer service. A little flair. Usually, usually as long as you got one, you got one on the crew that is, uh, you know, if the customer happens to be home that day, they're going to, they're going to chat up and they're going to talk. Or if the customer wants to come out and ask a few questions, you usually want to make sure that you've got at least one on your crew. Okay, cool. Um, okay, the other division in a in a healthy and growing contracting business is going to be your office. So these are office managers, administrators, executive assistants. Again, whole mix of different roles. The titles are ultimately arbitrary, um, but what they are doing is is helping with the growing admin load that is associated with a growing company. Now, I think we need to make a distinction here between what we would call like a client-facing administrator, meaning they do inbound calls or they do outbound calls. Some percentage of their role is spent dealing um, with customers. And then there are others which are just non-client-facing at all. They are head down on a computer, in the books, in QuickBooks, whatever, and they are not interacting with clients. It's important to make that distinction because one, you could give a bonus, the other you could not. Um, do you want to take it from there? Yeah, sure. So let's start with your admin uh, office person. So like you said, that's the one. Um, they're usually the, they're usually the oil that runs the machine. Right. Um, they're crucial the piece glue. of your team. They're the ying to your yang. Um, but like you said, they're they're not really dealing with customers. They're not really helping with sales. Um, they're just getting the admin side of your business intact. In that case, I would say, give them a gift. So, and I haven't said it yet, but we did talk at the beginning and we did say that there's nothing wrong with giving gifts. You just have to understand that you're intentionally giving a gift. And I think it's too complicated to try to find a metric of gross profit or leads or sales. Like just, just show them your appreciation. And if you want to give them a bonus, give them a quarterly bonus, give them a mid-year bonus, give them an annual bonus, just say thank you. And I might just add before I pass it over back to you, Benji, um, quite often these are one of the lowest paid people in your company. And it's tricky because quite often they know how much everybody else is making as well too, because they are the ones in the box or doing the payroll or whatnot. So um, when you just show them appreciation just for being them, I, I think it works very well in this space. Not in all spaces, but this space, I like it. Anyone that's had a good office manager knows how incredibly important and highly leveraged roles like this are. Um, not much happens without them. I think the reason, I gave this a little thought. Okay, so why, if you're just a, no, a non-client-facing administrator, why is it not worth coming up with some KPI or some metric to anchor uh, bonuses off of? And my thoughts are this. First of all, it's kind of difficult to quantify how you can like admin any harder. You know what I mean? Like it's not like it's not like sales. It's not like production. It's, so it's like, oh, did you type this many words per day? Like that doesn't really make sense. Did you reply to this many emails this day? It's 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 tricky. And I, I think it's the ROI you potentially are going to get 
um, is very abstract and probably not worth the mental acrobatics you need to do to come up with this. The other thing is you need office managers to be somewhat flexible while being very, very diligent. They need to be steady. Mm-hmm. They need to, you need to have someone where you can actually say, hey, I know I said this, we need to do this other thing now. And so having someone that is myopic or tunnel visioned on one metric, the way a salesperson would be, is actually like doing detriment to what you need that role to do in the first place. So for non-client facing administrators, office managers, we are saying pay them a base salary um, um, and give them gifts that are really meaningful to them throughout the year. Um, You could maybe come up with some bonus package based on a very specific implementation project. Like for example, hey, we're upgrading sure, our tech sure. stack. If we get this, you know, these three things done this year, there's five grand in a few, whatever. But generally speaking, it's not worth the math. Now on the flip side, you would have a client, there are client facing administrators who are doing a lot of calls. What would be the, you can actually give a small bonus structure for them. What works for that role? Yeah, usually it would be affiliated with sales, right? And I mean, we've all heard the the statement, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And, you know, quite often they are the first impression. They are the first person that our customers will talk to or deal with. And you just really want to reward them, right? And, you know, I would say that with an office person incentive, again, I want to be very clear when it comes to operations managers, especially your salespeople, even your crew leads, you really want to challenge them. You want to challenge them to go above and beyond and you want them to earn the the right to make more money than what their base salary is. But with an office person, it's more of just like a thank you. So it's like a gift, but it's tying it into a KPI. So let them share in the success of the company. When a sale happens, when a big, you know, when they turn a, um, a hello into a yeah. signature on a contract, let them share in that success and just find a way to give them a piece of that pie. Uh, again, did some Googling. Average income, average salary for an office manager is $81,000. Now, little detail there, that would be someone who is working with a larger office. There's a minimum of two people in that office. So there is some level of leadership. They would have a junior administrator reporting to them. That's what justifies the 81K. If if it's just sort of a base level admin, 60 grand a year average in North America. Yeah, Um, Yeah, that makes sense. Anything to add on, on office managers and admin? We good there. No, except except that we love them and we need them. Yeah. So be nice to treat them. Treat them well. Yeah, treat them well. Um, okay. We're going to um, – I'm going to say a few words on marketing here. That's sort of like the last lingering thing. This one is really tricky. First and foremost, marketing as is just an umbrella term for an extremely wide mix of tactics and strategies. It's a very multidisciplinary field. As a result, I think talking about how to pay your marketing team or marketing person on your business is just too tricky for a podcast episode because if you have if you have someone managing your Instagram account and that's what you call your marketing manager, that's different from like a proper CRO who has people that report to them and there there's a content strategy. They've got an SEO person in house. They've got a graphic design team. They've got a brand manager. That's very very different. So I'm not, I just I don't want to wade into these waters because it's just so complex and I think um, it be, we don't have the time to do it today. But I do want to make a quick comment about this. If you're going to hire someone to lead your marketing, you care fundamentally about two things. And really, if you want to be specific, it's really one thing. And what we call them are QSOs or leads. QSO stands for Qualified Sales Opportunity. And an MQL is a marketing qualified lead. That is, you could think of that as a soft lead. It's someone that you've added to your email list. They're now in your ecosystem, but you either don't have enough information about them to say they're a qualified sales opportunity um, or they just haven't expressed interest in doing business with you yet. So a qualified sales opportunity is obviously, that's a hot lead. Your salesperson can start calling that 
Uh, they can get it into appointment. They can sell that person. And MQL is someone that usually needs to be nurtured through your social media, through an email nurture campaign, whatever. But those, for most small businesses that we work with, those are the two things you care about. And the reason I'm saying this is because if you're going to invest or your business is at a stage where you're thinking of bringing on some marketing people, do not get fooled by vanity metrics. And I see this happen all the time. Someone promises to boost your impressions increase your reach, um, drive better engagement. These are all nice things. They're very, very, very secondary. What if you're going to, again, if you're going to invest in marketing, either in-house or you're going to contract it out or some mix of the two, the table stakes for your business are qualified sales or opportunities, AKA leads and MQLs. Don't get caught up in the bullshit because marketing is a wild west. It's totally unregulated. And this would be one of the most frustrating positions that contractors um, have had. We just literally just did an episode a couple weeks ago on, you know, how not to get screwed by SEO agencies. So like, it just goes to show like, this is a bit of a rat's nest. Be careful. You care about those two results and not much else at this stage in your business. Um, question for you. Thoughts on like rhythm and cadence of when bonuses should be paid out quarterly or annually? Uh, what, what's the uh, yeah. best? Quarterly, uh, again, depending on the type of bonus, like obviously sales commission, there's you want to see some instant gratification there. Um, so probably monthly. The only the only caution I would ever give about a sales commission is just make sure that the money's coming in, right? Because it could be quite dangerous if you're paying uh, commissions on on a sale, but then all of a sudden they cancel the sale and the revenue doesn't actually come. So, but once that revenue is in, you want to pay them. So salespeople, you actually want to you want to keep their their beak wet as often as you possibly can. Um, but besides that, I think quarterly, quarterly is, is, is really great. Annually just seems too far off. Right. Um, and you might lose your motivation. Um, so quarterly and quarterly is also good because, you know, I know that this is a podcast around bonuses and not about retention, but I mean, I think they go hand in hand for sure. And when you have somebody that knows that there's a little paycheck waiting for them two months from now, three months from now, um, they're. It helps for them to stick around for that paycheck. A little taste of sugar along the way never hurt. What about um, some like, you know, there's some more fun out there. These are just colorful, non-money bonuses. We've seen this done really, really well within Breakthrough Academy. Do you have any examples, Handy, of, of you know, things that are non-monetary that actually delivered the result that the entrepreneur wanted and it, and it meant something to the employee? Yeah. Oh, I got a bunch of them. Benji, I do. So I'll try not to talk too much on this, but I am a big fan of creative incentives and just having fun because at the end of the day, again, I'm going to, I'm going to bore you and I'm going to come back to the definition of incentive, a thing that motivates or encourages one to do something. And when when you have a fun incentive, you get that motivation, you get that encouragement out there. So um, I had a meeting yesterday, just yesterday, um, and it was it was with a new member as well too. So I was just getting to know him, and he said something, and I told him I was like, I'm going to be at a podcast, and I'm using that because I love it, and it's a burrito card. So every Friday <laughs> they have a meeting, and he's got there's this apparently the best breakfast burrito in town, and they've got a card where you can go and get a free burrito. And for whatever reason, he actually connects it with his core values, which I um, I, I loved even more. Um, but basically, anyone that lives the core values for that week, for whatever reason will receive the burrito card and i just i just love that i think it's so fun and you know look you can give somebody 20 bucks or you can give somebody a burrito card they could probably go buy two burritos with 20 bucks but that burrito card is actually going to get you th that motivation that you want even further so i love fun little incentives like that um don't be afraid to be kind of kooky and go ask your people what they want uh good things like fun examples that come to mind expensive actually no before i get into the examples these are almost always things that your employees wouldn't buy for themselves they want to do it but they're like ah it's too much money it's too luxurious i'm not gonna do this so it would be like an expensive concert or a big tickets to a big sports game if you have outdoorsy people working for you and there's a good chance you do, do you know how meaningful it is to send someone on a day of cat skiing that they're, they've wanted to do their whole life? It's a thousand bucks for your business. Yeah, that's not nothing. 
but like they're never, they're probably not going to do that for themselves or, or, you know, heli biking, or you send them on a rock climbing trip, whatever, talk to them about it, come up with something that's reasonable. Um, and then there's other stuff like a spa day, just like, Hey, go have a really, really nice overnight at this beautiful hotel, get a massage. You've worked hard, take a day off and then you could do gift cards or burrito cards or whatever, but just ha- like, don't be afraid to think outside the box. These motivate people more than you think. They're also huge culture builders because these are often memories that that person will have forever. And even when they exit your business at some point, as all employees eventually do, they're going to have something really, really nice or a few things really nice to reflect back on about, um, about their time there. couple just closing comments here. I, I want to um, mention Keep it freaking simple. A lot of people get overly excited about this subject matter and they they kind of get too far down the rabbit hole when their business is still nascent. And it's like, you don't need to, you don't need to like cook your brain coming up with really complex and nuanced and layered comp plans. You're, it's a waste of time and your people are going to be confused by it as well. So that's why I'm like, hey, 50 bucks for a five-star review, that's simple. That's concrete. People get it. Remember what we said earlier, your tracking does need to be dialed. If it's not, again, reach out to Breakthrough Academy. Let's get connected. This is what we do. Um, and the last thing is don't overpromise. You, if, if you get too excited and, you know, too kind of pie in the sky about the future and you, you, you know, maybe say things that your business, you make promises that your business can't, uh, checks you can't uh, write or cash yet, you can um, end up with real, a, a souring, a resentment situation. So I would start conservative and then build from there rather than promising the moon and then actually under delivering later on. Um, closing thoughts on on how to pay your people. Shane, anything else we missed today? Um. No, I think that we got it. Look, I I think that I would just really encourage you to draw a line in the sand of what is expected and what is above your expectation. And just really make sure that your incentives and your bonuses are encouraging people to play on the other side of that line. Well said. If you've been listening to this and you want us to go deeper on one of these subject matters, I realize this was pretty, high, you know, kind of high level. We covered a lot of ground. If you're like really itching for like a sales, a deep dive on sales comp plans or a deep dive on how to pay production people, let us know in the comments. We we can circle back to this subject matter. This is our first go at it. Certainly not a finished conversation, and and we can uh, we can go deeper if this is something that that you want. Uh, want us to go deeper on. So Shane, thanks for being here today, man. And uh, thank you guys for listening. We will see you next week. Yeah. Thanks, Benji. Bye everyone. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.